lump off mom what's wrong with me can you keep your evil doing quiet finn is dealing with some heavy stuff over here unacceptable i'm not cut out for adventuring finn you messed the beat up i just want to sit here and moan then i'll moan with you buddy This is Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast from the Infinite Guest Network. I'm Mike Eagle. I'm a rap artist, and I also host the podcast Secret Skin. And I'm here with John Moe, host of Wits. Hey, John. I am not a rap artist, though. You are not a rap artist. I would like to be a rap artist, but only if I could be a rap artist that doesn't rhyme or speak in rhythm. So I guess that happens I'm, a lot. Yeah, sure it does. And we're here to talk about one of our favorite television shows, Adventure Time. We are. And in just a little bit, we're going to hear from Olivia Olson, who is the voice of Marceline the Vampire Queen. I actually think that Bubblegum is more evil. She's way more uptight, way crazier than Marceline. And Marceline in the relationship or friendship or whatever anyone wants to call it, I think is the more level-headed one. That's Olivia Olson, the voice of Marceline, the Vampire Queen on Adventure Time. We're going to get to that in just a little while. But first, we've been hearing from listeners. We asked people to get in touch with us to give us their top five C-listers after a recent show where we discussed that. Uh, here's Shannon Finazzo of Grand Rapids, Michigan. She didn't give us a top five. She just said that she loves Mr. Fox, which is one of my favorites, too. I can't believe I left him off my list. He journeys back to find himself in a house. He uh, advocates the eating of babies. He's such a great character. Yeah, those don't sound like great traits, believe it or not, though. Out of context, they don't, they don't <laughs> no, sound like no, the most separately. appealing evaluating bugs on their real estate acumen and eating babies don't sound like a heroic quality, but but I like them. Almost got me right in my both eyes. Our next comment comes from Brian Abel from St. Louis. He says, one of my favorite C-listers of all time was Box Prince, who might be a one-off character, but is a great character for a cat just doing cat things and leading Finn to ask, is this even a real kingdom? At the end. I remember that. I did like that Box Prince episode, too. I thought that was cool. Yeah, when when they don't know if it was a real kingdom or just a bunch of cats running around, it's it's a bit of an existential crisis because sometimes something is real and and sometimes it's it's just uh, some cats running around with boxes on their heads. There's certainly uh, room for them to further define what it means for something to be a kingdom or princessdom on Adventure Time as well. <laughs> so right. it seemed to be a comment on that as well. Yeah, there's not exactly a constitution defining it. Um, Alicia Holm in Normal, Illinois, uh, her favorite sea listers are Party Pat, the Hug Wolf, which was a, a one-off character, but a good one, and the Squirrel Up a Tree, uh, in the tree, part of the tree, the Mark Marin character from Adventure I did Time. like that character, too. Am I allowed to leave the tree? No. Have I already left the tree? Am I miles away from the tree right now, flying around like the flying squirrel that I am? Yes. In my mind. In my mind. Uh, And our last comment comes from Miranda Prince of Albany, Oregon. Uh, Miranda writes, My favorite C-lister is Flambeau, the little cat-shaped guy from the Flame Kingdom. I agree with you guys about Peppermint Butler. I'm dying to know more about him and his occult dealings. We're going to have to do a deep dive on Peppermint Butler. And I I don't know who we're going to have to bring in. We're going to have to bring in, like, the Church of Satan or something to do do a discussion with him. Because remember in that, the episode with... uh, the Peacemaster, 
the Rain Wilson character who is driving a minivan around. Uh, Peppermint Butler, it gets really ambiguous as to what side he's on, whether he's on the side of good <laughs> or evil, if he's protecting or, or destroying. I imagine that's probably how they're trying to keep it. You know, I'm feeling like I might want to write some Peppermint Butler fan fiction, actually. <laughs> okay. I, I might All go right. that direction with it. Are you are you going to get super mystical, or are you just going to have him, like, uh, go to the mall or something? I'm going to get the superest mysticalist. I'm just going <laughs> to read uh, uh, Aleister Crowley books and just uh-huh. uh, put his put his name in there, handwritten, <laughs> and just read them, read them on the show. It'll be great. Excuse me, but did you all say Land of the Dead? Uh, so... As I've been hearing from people, uh, you know, we always say at the end of the show, let us know what you want us to talk about. One that keeps coming up is the gender-swapped universe, the world right. of Fiona the human and Cake the cat, uh, which is which is fan fiction in a way. It's it's discussion. It's fiction from the Ice King where he imagines a land of ooh, I believe it's called the land of ah. Where, <laughs> where everything is gender swapped, and the lead characters are Fiona and Cake, and there's uh, a Prince Gumball, there's Marshall Lee instead of Marceline, there's an Ice Queen, and uh, they've only done a couple episodes of this, but it is powerful, powerful stuff, and uh, and people are really responding to it, and there seems to be a buildup to where uh, there's an indication that at some point. Fiona and Cake are going to cross over from this fan fiction, theoretical, invented world mm-hmm. into the actual land of Ooh, and there'll be some sort of crossover event. Yeah, um, I don't know if you've if you watched the um, any of the Susan Strong episodes very sure. closely. Sure, but there is a. Um, I believe there's a pile of skeletons in her world, which is, <laughs> is called Utopia, and one of them is wearing what appears to be um, Fiona's rabbit hat. Oh, yeah, because Fiona has longer ears than Finn. Finn has like a bear hat, and, right. and Fiona has a rabbit hat. Oh, boy, that's a little disturbing. Yeah, yeah it's, my, it's, it's my kind of disturbing, though. I bet I bet Wolfhard <laughs> has something to do with that. Yeah, it seems like it. Well, what do you—I mean, that makes me think, too, about the theory that Susan Strong is Finn's mother. I hadn't heard that one or read oh, it or yeah. been whispered to about it at all. <laughs> because she's, I think she's a human, but human is spelled differently and it's a slightly different species. It's spelled H-Y-O-O-M-A-N. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's why she has a natural affinity for Finn and they kind of look alike and they, they respond to each other. Um, it's strictly fan theory. There's no indication that it's for sure true, but, Because uh, she has some sort of, um, can't she, like, breathe underwater or something? Non-human-like? Yeah, she's part fish. Right. That, that is true, which, you know, argues against her being the, the mother of a human because of science. Right. But I guess, uh, I guess, you know, Jake is the offspring of, like, an alien demon and a dog, so... Yeah, you know. I mean, I, I guess if if you could imagine Martin uh, dating Susan Strong, then you can then you can get there. But, I could certainly um, imagine her beating him up and chasing him away. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So here's the thing about about Fiona and, and my kids, my daughters love Fiona and Cake episodes because they should because there aren't enough girl superheroes or girl lead characters either in cartoons or in the rest of society for that matter. Um, but I, have you noticed how Fiona is dressed in a bit more of a 
and I, I, I kind of feel icky even saying it, kind of more of a sexy way. She's got a short skirt on instead of just wearing pants. And uh, she just seems a little older and more mature, more developed than right. than Finn does. And uh, there there isn't she doesn't have much of an interest in romance, but the idea of of love and pursuit and boyfriends and girlfriends is much stronger in the Fiona and Cake episodes than it is in anything else. Maybe we should meet up for a date. And granted, they're written by the Ice King. Uh, which I guess explains it, but I I do find it curious that uh, that it's it figures so prominently in this alternate universe. You know, but it is interesting. It it does seem that she's constantly being thrust into uh, relationship type uh, romantic type situations, but she mm-hmm. does seem to have this resolve against kind of just going along with that just because it's expected of her. Right. And I, I I found it actually like kind of refreshing about her uh as a character i can remember that one point where uh was it is it marshall lee was trying to manipulate her into thinking that he was dying and she he was basically just trying to get her to admit some sort of um some sort of affinity for him right in that some kind way. of crush yeah right but even in the midst of her being worried about his life she just she just she just wouldn't go for it <laughs> she's just like no like stop doing that even though you're dying i think this is it for me fiona so why don't you just admit it? You're in love with me. I I get that you flirt with me all the time and it's funny and whatever, but you're doing that now? What are you trying to do to my head? You think I've got some little crush on you? Well, for however long we've got left. For what? Drop it, you freak! I appreciate her resistance against... um kind of what's expected of her by uh, by men. And sometimes I think kind of Cake expects it a little bit too, you know? I mean, it all does come from, from the Ice King. I've noticed that the Ice Queen, uh, the Ice King's counterpart in this fan fiction that the Ice King is creating, it has none of the dimension of the Ice King because, you know, he has all that pathos. He has all that kind of uh, conflicted uh, complexity. But the Ice Queen is just cackling madly and shooting right. ice rays out in all directions. <laughs> Maybe he's imagining himself to be a much... I don't know if he's imagining himself to be more malevolent than he is or if he's set that up as an opposite of himself. And whereas the Ice King is essentially a great guy, as he describes himself, the Ice <laughs> Queen is is uh, kind of savage and horrible. Well, you know, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this rumor at all, but there is a rumor that it is not fan fiction at all, but it's actually another dimension that Ice King can see through his wizard eyes. Oh. Like, are you familiar with his wizard eyes at all? N- no. What, what are his wizard eyes? <laughs> uh, I believe they come, uh, I believe this, this power comes from the crown, but um, the Ice King very regularly sees things. Um, in in the in the world of ooh in rooms that he's in that other people don't see and sometimes um yeah like sometimes he can see things in the spirit world and um and things like that but they're kind of constantly going and um there's a rumor that it's not fan fiction it's actually something he's seeing and he's just writing it down and it kind of makes sense too especially if you watch that first fiona and cake episode um like things kind of continue on in their own world and there's not much of a mention and like and until like the end where it like sharply turns 
to Ice King being a great guy, <laughs> like uh-huh. kind of just tagging it at the end with, and everybody loves the Ice King, the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Ice King is the hottest hottie, and I can't wait to marry him, said Fiona. I had forgotten about the, the how he sees other things. Like he's seeing uh, alternate dimensions full of writhing right. monsters all around all Constantly. the time. Yeah. Constantly. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's further evidence that it might be, you know, not necessarily fan fiction either. Because if you would think that if it was fan fiction, that the Ice Queen would be more successful in yes. trying to, right. um, you know, capture Prince. She wouldn't be foiled at every turn. You would think if he was writing it, you know. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and like you were saying, you'd think she'd be a little bit more sympathetic. Right. Right. You know, we're, we're both dudes. I wonder... I'd like to hear from some listeners about who are women about uh, the Fiona and Cake universe and whether the, I guess it's lechery or or lovesickness on the part of the Ice King to make uh, Fiona a little more a little more mature and a little more provocative. Uh, if that's something that that people are made uncomfortable by, or if that is something that nobody even bothered to think about but me, and that makes me a creep. <laughs> I mean, you know, thigh highs are a little, you know, yeah. that's a little that, yeah, much. I don't know. I have one more uh, thing that I noticed about Fiona and Cake's uh, yeah. world that I wanted to uh, say is possible evidence of them existing. And, you know, how far this goes, we'll see. But um, the prince in... Fiona and Cake's world is named uh, Gumball, right? Right. In the Comet episode, when Princess Bubblegum um, and Peppermint Butler move into that shack, uh-huh. she says that shack was built by her uncle Gumball. Oh. Well, that can't be a coincidence. Right. Absolutely not. Unless Gumball is just a real common name like Kevin. Or Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle just, Peter, yeah. Yeah. Just, there's all sorts of people named Gumball. You live in a candy kingdom after all. There's only so many candy variants you could possibly use. I um, am I am so delighted at how easily that was possibly debunked. Like had something and you're like, no, I could just Oh, you're right. <laughs> All right, what do you got? I have been thinking very hard about when Simon and Marcy split is mm. is how I've been thinking of it. So we all know that Ice King used to be Simon Petrikoff and slowly changed into the Ice King due to the effects of the crown. Sure. And that um he used to protect Marceline as a as a young vampire mm-hmm. in the um in the days shortly after the uh, in the aftermath of the Mushroom War. About a thousand um, years he used ago. To be, yeah, 996 years ago. Yes, to be precise. Um, he was very protective over her, um, and they forged a friendship where they kind of kept each other company while the world was slowly going mad. And um, and it seems that they've gotten really close. You, you see some vestiges of their close relationship today. Mm-hmm. But um, in, in the Simon and Marcy stories we see, we kind of see where... Um, Simon wears the crown to protect her one more time, and he kind of, you know, really goes ahead and loses it. He he stops he stops being able to uh, control his personality, and the powers of the crown kind of take hold of him. Yes, and it's gotten me to wonder. 
Um, at what point in this thousand-year struggle or thousand-year narrative did um, Marceline just finally give up on trying to find some way to keep him uh, sane and, and trying to find some way to keep the Simon in him alive? Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's just been something I've been thinking about. Like, how long would that take, you know, for, for a person to decide that, okay, I'm not going to win here. This person has changed, and that's just going to be that. And I'm going to love this person for for who they who they are maybe, but more for who they have been and, and what they have meant to me before they, before they went over the edge, really. Right. And also, but also love them from a way different distance yeah. um, where Marceline seems to pretty much live on her own and Ice King lives on his own. And there's not, there hadn't been much interaction. So it seems that even though she does love him and she does appreciate their history, she gives him a lot of space and doesn't really try to make it her mission at all to really, um, to really try to um, get him back to what he used to be in any kind of way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when a lot of this story is unfolded, when when they do this flashback, it's framed around uh, a basketball game. Marceline, Marceline, I'm open. I'm wide open. They're playing basketball right. uh, with Finn and Jake and Marceline and the Ice King. And Marceline, I got ups. Check out my ups. And uh, she says, "He's very dear to my heart. I, I love, love him. him. You know, and it just." matter-of-factly and then we get into the flashback of of the reasons why um but it is it's a testament to marceline that that love is still there even though that person is is entirely gone i mean it, it reminds me i've i've been fortunate not to have to deal with um with anybody in my family having alzheimer's disease but i know people who have and i've read about about mm. this case where it's very heartbreaking when the person stops remembering you consistently and then it's really heartbreaking again when they really don't know who you are at all and it's somebody who's maybe a parent or uh, a grandparent or, or a very close loved relative um but there's a some people try the technique of saying oh okay that just means i get to I get to introduce myself to this person all over again and I mm. get the delight of meeting them again and they get, get the delight of, of meeting somebody uh, who loves them all over again. And, and so it's just every day they're just kind of starting anew like, oh, well, here's who I am and, uh, and getting to know you. And I mean, I guess that's kind of a, that, that's a love that doesn't require um, the the same sort of reciprocity as a as a more traditional stable uh relationship but it, that's interesting too because it kind of brings up this idea of perspective um because if you if you if you look at it through the framework of of maybe looking at alzheimer's as an analogy um then it kind of, I think, makes sense the way that uh, Marceline has handled it, because there's nothing that she could really do about that. If, if you know, once Alzheimer's starts to come on, I mean, if you're not a, you know, if you're not a medical professional or somebody studying it scientifically, there's just really not much you can do but kind yeah. of um, try to um, live on in some some form of family and make that person comfortable and just kind of deal with it the best you can. Um, but if you look at how how Betty is handling it, Betty being, of course, his um, his his old love, his old uh, fiance, mm -hmm. 
um, she's looking at it as if it's something that she can cure. And it looks like, you know, the, the fervor with which she's going after it right now and trying to find a way to turn him back into Simon while, while uh, saving his life. It doesn't seem like she's going to give up on that anytime soon. And you know? she's willing to become a wizard and employ magic, madness, and sadness to uh, to get to that point. The way that Betty's going about it, it kind of reminds me, or it makes me think of people I know who have gone through struggles with like addiction, mm-hmm. where um, you know they get into certain substances that start to change how they are personality-wise, and and kind of changes their lives. Yeah, and you look at it like. You know, when you, when you see a person kind of go through these things and become some other kind of person, um, depending on how close you are to them, you're looking at it like it's something that you can affect and you can change. And, you know, you want to kind of try to pull that person back into being who they used to be. But there does come that point sometimes where eventually you kind of have to get up, give up and let them be who they are now and make their own choices too. let them become the ice king or just accept, exactly. accept that they're becoming the ice king. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if if addiction was sort of in people's minds when they were creating this situation with the ice King and his crown, because it, you're right. I've known people who are addicts and people who've become addicts and, and it's the most maddening thing about it in a relationship with that person is when you try to apply logic and reason to the situation and it defies it. Like, you know, you know what, what alcohol does to you, you should stop drinking. It's, it's obvious that it's, it's killing you and it's making you into this other person. You know what these drugs are doing to you. Um, I'm telling you what they're doing to you. So logically you should stop. But at that point, the drug is like the crown, you know, it's, it's on and it's going to take over that person's life and make their nose pointier and their, their hair longer. And they're going to start to fly and they're not going to be able to take the crown off. You're getting worse, Simon. Your hair and your nose are longer. And you started to hover in the air. Oh, yeah? Did I look pretty fly? Ha, ha, ha! What are you talking about? You're scaring me. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Did I say something? Something I noticed in, in that episode, and I, I went back and, and watched it again, is uh, have you noticed all the bubble gum in that episode? I, you know, I was looking at it again yesterday, and I did notice that. Yeah. I did notice that it, there was bubble gum everywhere. And and if I'm not mistaken, when those zombie creatures, I'm not sure what they were, yeah. were um, chasing him, when they got to the bubble gum, it kind of like slowed them down. And not, not slowed them down, just physically. It seemed to affect them somehow, too, those zombies, as they ran through the bubble gum. And I wondered if that was something that was happening um, on purpose or if that was telling in any kind of way. I think it's telling because the the bubblegum also forms a ladder where they can climb up to that bridge uh, where they were hoping for chicken soup, but it was just full of clams. The clambulance? <laughs> right. Clambulance. The clambulance. <laughs> and, uh, and then even at, at the very end, you see a little face forming in the in the bubblegum, which presumably is the beginning, the origin story of Princess Bubblegum, which I hadn't picked up on before. Yeah, I hadn't either, and I and I did notice it watching that episode, and and I hope that at some point we can get a little bit more of that that fleshed out because I would love to see how this wad of gum <laughs> not only became massive and helpful, but then became a sentient being and creator of other sentient <laughs> beings. I think that's 
That'd, that'd be an excellent uh, series of things to see. And we had been worrying about the origins of Princess Bubblegum. You were a little upset about about a lack of information <laughs> about the origins of Princess Bubblegum. And in fact, there was there were these clues hidden all along. It makes you wonder what other clues are out there that we're missing. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's been really interesting doing the podcast and and thinking myself um, an Adventure Time expert, but then finding all of these things every time I go back and watch an episode and then, you know, finding all the things that other people have found on the wiki and, and seeing how far behind I actually am on yeah. <laughs> a lot of this stuff. I know. You know there, there needs to be a master's degree program for us to enroll in. <laughs> I agree. Olivia Olson is with us today. She plays Vanessa Doofenshmirtz on the Disney series Phineas and Ferb. And she was the little girl in the movie Love Actually. When she was 10 years old, she sang the song All I Want for Christmas at the end of that movie. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. And you definitely know her as Marceline the Vampire Queen from Adventure Time. Olivia, hello. Hi, how's it going? So glad to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How did you get hooked up with the show originally? Oh, wow. It was kind of a wild story. Um, I was working on Phineas and Ferb, which my dad is a writer of, Martin Olson. Uh-huh. And he is a... Old buddy at Penn Ward just sort of being in the animation world together. Um, so my dad was contacted by Penn asking if he knew who played my character on Phineas and Verb. He uh-huh. liked sort of how I was like the darker kind of girl. Uh-huh. And um, my dad was like, yeah, I know her. Uh, that's my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so I auditioned for Marceline and Bubblegum. Oh. Um, I'm clearly more of a Marceline, though. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I ended up booking the show and really had sort of no idea how weird of a role and concept of a TV series you were getting into. But it was awesome because when it came time to have Marceline's dad casted, Pendleton, like, begged my dad to play him. Right, um, Hunts and Abadir. Yeah, and he did such a great job on that. What wears a dark suit is completely evil and is about to suck out all your souls. He's a little too believable as the devil. I <laughs> uh, what was that like, working with your dad as your dad? <laughs> we kind of joke about it that um, it's kind of the same as it's always been, only now we get paid to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're evil. And we're, oh, we are same as ever, right? Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so fun, though. I mean, my dad has been such a huge part of, you know, my creative flourishing. And um, I'm just so lucky to be able to work with him because he was always so adamant from a young age. You know, my parents recognized and acknowledged that, you know, I had singing talent so they were always super supportive with it and my dad really really helped with my songwriting skills and writing skills and always was pushing me to learn a new instrument and and write down my dreams and ideas that I had just because 
he was so weird and wacky and thought it was all great. But it's really, it's really neat to be able to kind of have a platform for us that we can go in and actually work together side by side and be acknowledged for it. It's very surreal. Are you thinking of him as your dad when you're recording these things, or is he just some other actor? It could be anybody right there. It's it's my dad, and it's weird because you're sitting there and you're calling him dad, but you're playing a character, <laughs> but it is your dad. <laughs> I feel like the only other person that can understand that is Miley Cyrus. <laughs> well, um, and, and your dad's so similar to Billy Ray Cyrus, too, so it works out. <laughs> Um, and you recorded an album with your dad, is that correct? Yes. Tell me about um, that. There are songs on there recorded from when I was 12 and 10 and up until I was 20, just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So it really is just this collection of our lives for the past couple of years that we just sort of, like I said, had these dad-daughter moments. We've been working together and writing music since I was a little, little girl. And um, it finally, we finally had enough songs to actually put it on an album. Wow. Uh, let's talk about Marceline here. She started out as somebody who is really super scary and then just became kind of nice and became, became a friend of, of Finn and Jake. Uh, was she scary when you originally read for her? Was she supposed to be a baddie and then, and then turn good? Or did she always, was she always kind of a, a nice person in disguise? I think she sort of puts the persona on in the beginning because she did spend a lot of her childhood alone mm-hmm. dodging whatever creatures she saw on the wasteland um, and growing up learning not to trust a lot of people. So I think she saw Finn and Jake. She wanted to be their friend, but she kind of had to test the waters first. Okay. Is she evil? I don't think she's evil. I think she really has a good heart. Um, She definitely has her moments because she's got that demon blood in her. Kind of is running through her veins. Right. But so much good outweighs whatever bad she has. And she doesn't really agree with Hunton Abadir's lifestyle. So (laughs) I don't think she's too bad. My theory is that is that she's evil in a way that she can't help. Like she, there's a certain amount of evil just baked into her because of her lineage, but that she's enough of a person. She's grown to be enough of an individual that she's not going to let the evil rule who she is, that she's going to take control instead of her, her evil core taking control. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's pretty spot on. She definitely has her moments and, you know, it's there. She's yeah. definitely born into it, but her upbringing, I think, changed that. Yeah. Um, it's funny, though. I think a lot of people who don't see themselves, who kind of can recognize their own darker side a little bit more, really gravitate towards Marceline. My One of my daughters is seven years old, and her best friend insists that she's Marceline whenever she can. And, and one time she got two mosquito bites on her neck and she said, look, this proves it. I am Marceline. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny. I think kids really identify with characters at a young age. I was the same way. Um, 
for a full year from the time I was three to four, I made my parents call me Angelica from the Rugrats, and I was <laughs> horrible. I was the meanest little girl for this year, and it was just because I loved Angelica Pickles. Because Angelica's home- impossible. She's, she's a very difficult child. I have home videos (laughs) from like my third or fourth birthday where uh, a family friend's younger toddler comes and sits next to me and I go, get away from me, baby. Like I was (laughs) the worst. And I, I'm glad that Marceline is not as bad as Angelica because if there are kids out there who want to be Marceline and, you know, kind of take on the persona it's not as bad as I was as, yeah. a, as a Rugrats kid. Well, and maybe we get a whole new generation of bass players out of it, which would be fantastic. See, that would be beneficial. <laughs> Music fuels the mind. <laughs> and bass players are never out of work. Everybody always needs a bass player, so it's perfect. <laughs> um, now, I have to ask because, and you don't have to answer it, but I bet you already have a rehearsed answer for this question. Do you know or have you been told... Or do you have an opinion as to whether Marceline and Princess Bubblegum were ever an item together? Oh, I get that question a lot. And yep, you're right. It's none of your business. (laughs) That's the perfect answer. Do you, without telling me what you think about it, do you have that decision in mind when you go to record a scene between the two of them? Like as an actor, do you do all that endowing of the backstory and the point of view and all that other uh, kind of actorly stuff just to walk in and record a scene? (laughs) It's so funny you asked that. Yesterday, actually, I had a a whole episode with uh, Hinden, who plays Bubblegum, and I, and um, yeah, it's it's funny because we both sort of you know, we'll make jokes in the in the studio, but I don't think we really have that in mind. Um, she's such a fun person to record with, mm-hmm. and it's just the banter of Marceline and Bubblegum. It's so funny. I actually think that Bubblegum is more evil. She's way more uptight, way crazier than Marceline, and Marceline in the relationship or friendship or whatever anyone wants to call it, I think is the more level-headed one. Yeah, well, she when we had Hinden on the show, she she described Bubblegum as a as a fascist, a benevolent fascist, <laughs> but a fascist nonetheless. <laughs> um, Marceline is a musician, and and you're a singer as well. Um, how planned out are the songs that she sings on the show? Do you do you get a demo, or do you just get some lyrics and have to freestyle it, or what? It's kind of been all over the place. Um, I've had some songs where, for whatever reason, on either my behalf of not checking emails, I've gone in and, oh, we had a song today, oops, um, and it's kind of had to go like that. But, yeah, most most of the time I do get a demo of it, and um, I love when it's Rebecca Sugar because she goes completely all out and, you know, really knows what she wants with the songs, and I think she really does have it down for writing in Marceline's style. So I love when I get a Rebecca song. What's an example of one of her songs? 
Um, the daddy, YG, my friend, huh? I'm just your problem. These are all great hits. She went away for a little while uh, to go work. Well, not a little while. She has her own show, Steven Universe, that she's working on. Right. But I was so excited because she came back and wrote sort of the big finale song for Marceline in the Stakes miniseries, which we had the pleasure of doing a little duet of it at this year's Comic-Con, and it was awesome. Ever so slightly, daily and nightly, in little ways, when everything stays What can you tell us about the new miniseries coming up? It's called Stakes, and it's all about you. It's all about Marceline. Oh, yes. The stakes are sharp, and the stakes are high. Nice. Um, you're going to get a lot, a lot of backstory about Marceline in the miniseries. And it's, it's a really cool little eight-parter. There's not a whole lot that I can give away. But um, if I do say anything, I think besides the storyline, which I can't really flip too much, it's um, a really awesome sort of friendship bonding experience where Finn Jake, Marceline and PB really are just, you know, together fighting evil and in the episodes. And it's really cool. And I think it's, it's gonna improve their friendship as like a foursome a lot. Mm. And, um, there's a lot that goes on and there's some ups and downs and it gets pretty crazy, but it's, I'm really, really excited for everybody to see these episodes because it's going to give a lot of information away. I read where um, the invention of the Daddy Fries song. Daddy, why did you eat my fries? I bought them and they were mine. The invention of the Daddy Fries song kind of dominoed into the whole Simon Petrikoff, Marceline backstory through a, a series of necessities. <laughs> and w- what did that mean to you as an actor when so much of that history started opening up from, from being a vampire queen and being kind of a, a prankster with Finn and Jake to this whole <laughs> rich history? What did that give you as an actor? Oh, it was really cool. I, I honestly, in the first season... Marceline's character was kind of one-sided. You know, she was this sort of overlying, mean, old-soul prankster that you didn't really know a whole lot about. It was kind of, I had questions as an actor, like, why is she picking on them so much? Uh But um, once that came out, I mean, I really just didn't ever think that this show was going to go places like that. Um, I remember the first episode I ever recorded, I'm just sitting there reading the lines. I'm like, what the heck am I even (laughs) referencing right now? Because she's telling them about all the wild stuff that she's gotten into. And I found a school of goldfish beasts. And I fooled around in the fire kingdom. (laughs) And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, so the whole concept of the show, in my eyes, before it aired, was just this crazy sort of swirl of mess. Uh-huh. And then as season two came around, and 
you know, you start learning more about her backstory. It just, it makes so much sense. And, and it really opened up my eyes to like who she was as a character. But, um, a lot of that stuff kind of, you know, was a huge realization. Like my father and I, we just finished writing, um, the next adventure time book that's coming out. So it's, it's this two-parter. He, my dad, Martin, wrote the Enchiridion, the Hero's Handbook, and it got magically infused with Marceline's childhood diary that I got to write. Ah. Um, so that was kind of this really crazy couple of months for me because I felt like I was Marceline, <laughs> and I was given the opportunity, which I'm so thankful for, to sort of be able to make up some of her backstory and we actually do in the book um have exactly the the scenario that happens with those fries and um i was shocked that they actually uh let me do what i did and they liked it but it's really cool because you know i felt like i was writing as her and it was so weird because it's i'm sitting there and i'm writing as this character that i play but it's in her voice, in my voice, writing in a diary. So I just kind of felt like I was outpouring emotions that weren't even my own. It was it was kind of a wild couple of months. Olivia Olson, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'll leave you guys with a nice little... Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast, which is a production of the Infinite Guest Network and American Public Media. It's hosted by me, John Moe, and also Open Mike Eagle. Uh, there at Infinite Guest, you can check out Mike's podcast, Secret Skin, as well as my show, Wits. The Adventure Time end credit song that you've heard here on Conversation Parade was written and performed by Ashley Erickson. Thanks to Larissa Anderson, Steve Nelson, and Peter Clowney for helping make this podcast happen. Special thanks, too, to Cartoon Network. We'd love to hear from you, what you want to hear on the show, what you'd like to hear us talk about. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at John Moe. He's at Mike underscore Eagle. And we're all at Infinite Guest. Thanks.